Welcome to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. My name's Warren Crank and I'm here with Roz Holloway. And we're going to talk together today about a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about, and that is the topic of death. Now, we're going to hear about what Roz does uh, as her day job soon. But for this moment, I'd love Roz just to introduce herself to those people who are listening in. Thanks, Warren. And thanks for this opportunity just to have a chat. So, as you said, um, I'm Roz and I am 57 years old. I live in Ipswich, Queensland, and I'm wife to Rodney. I'm mother to Eliza, she's 26 and a journalist, and son Tom, he's 22, but he normally lives in Canada. He's playing college volleyball over there. I'm uh, in my 40th year of nursing. I now work for Westmorton Health. and I work there as, it's called an advanced care planning clinical nurse. Um, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 13 and my dad was a policeman. Uh, so we were transferred a lot around Queensland because he was a country cop. So I was born in Brisbane, lived in, went to Miraburrah, Howard, Miriamvale, Corroy. And then I guess the event that changed my life was that as an adult, I moved around a fair bit with my career and came to Ipswich for one short year only. And 32 years later, uh, I'm still living here. So you'd have to say stability is a mark of Ross's life. And we're here at their lovely home, which I was at 15 years ago. It's nice to be back here today. I've had a cup of coffee. Rod made that. It was wonderful. And it's just good to be here, reconnect not only ourselves personally, but also to, to talk about this idea of, uh, of death and how we deal with that as people and as communities. So that's what we're going to be sort of exploring together this morning. So tell us a little bit about your career, generally speaking, and then we'll get into talking about palliative care more specifically soon. Yes, yeah, so I think feel like I've it's I've had a lovely career in nursing as I said my 40th year I've started and uh, I started my general training in Gympie because mum and dad lived halfway between Karoi and Tewantan so Gympie was kind of closest base hospital to do your training so I left high school age 17 and moved to Gympie but I always felt that I wanted to and I felt led to specialize in cancer nursing Uh, So in those days we were single, double and triple certificate sisters and uh, so at that point in time the only place that you could do a postgrad certificate in cancer nursing was Melbourne, the Peter McCallum Cancer Institute. So I took off as a 20 year old in a in a beat up old Ford and um, went down to Melbourne. So I went from Gympie with no set of lights to Melbourne as a 20 year old and um, just had a wonderful few years in in my early career uh, at working at the Peter McCallum Cancer Institute and did uh, my second certificate. Then I felt the Lord calling me and I was going to a Baptist church in uh, Melbourne that I wanted to volunteer with the Australian Baptist Mission Society and I went and had an interview and they said oh look you're really not really of use to us practically uh, unless you have your midwifery and so they because there's not a lot of oncology treatment in third world countries so I just thought I'll go back to 
Queensland. So I applied for every place in Queensland and got um, accepted into Ipswich uh, maternity. So I um, came back up here and did my midi and then still went to Zambia um, as a volunteer and that was in 1988 when AIDS was really bad in Zambia. And I had met Rodney um, during my training. He was a radiographer at the hospital. And then I came, so I came back and we got married. Um, and then I worked at the Wesley um, at an oncology ward, day oncology ward, which was brand new. So quite a shock from Zambia third world to a brand new oncology unit. And I remember posting photos of starving children all over the fridge and um, as often people do that go from third world to back to here we change but no one else has Um, and so then I worked in the um, 19 uh, sorry I volunteered as a cancer nurse of the year with the Queensland Cancer Council and I was blessed enough to win that Um, and in 1990 um, the Lord really blessed us because I actually won enough um, to send us over, both Rodney and I, to go over to London. We lived over there for a year and I worked in a major cancer institute over there called um, the Royal Marsden. And we travelled and I just felt that that was, the Lord just gave back so much. It's 10am here in Ipswich. There's a lovely clock behind us. No, no, we want to hear that clock. It's, uh, it's so nice. So as you can hear, Ros has been quite the adventurer. And, and I want to shout out to all the young people listening here who've got all their adventures in front of them or it might be in the one now. I love the idea of going in a car with no lights from Queensland to Melbourne. That's pretty cool. But also those people who are listening in who might be working in the medical profession or nurses. We, we just want to show our esteem for you and all you're doing. Even as we hear Ros tell the story of uh, a little bit more of her career. So, you, you know, you don't always have a plan and you just sometimes just stumble into things. And I feel that I've spent a lifetime of kind of stumbling, that the things that I thought maybe I was going to do, sometimes you just end up in a completely different direction. And then it's not till afterwards that you think, ah, that was why. Sometimes it's many, many years afterwards that it all kind of makes sense. Um, as to why you ended up in that situation or position. So um, I, after working in oncology for a while, um, this opportunity came up as uh, direct, and I'd been travelling from Ipswich to Brisbane, which is, in those days it was not a great road, so it was probably an hour um, for about 18 years, and thought, no, um, this opportunity came up, and I felt led to apply for it as director of Ipswich Hospice. So Ipswich Hospice is a seven bed facility that cares for people who are deemed to be nearing the end of their life, um, usually within the last three months of life or so. And it's a not-for-profit, independently owned organisation. And so I was actually there for almost eight years as director. And during that time, I really... um, developed a lot more palliative care skills because in oncology there's it's not uncommon for people to move from oncology to palliative care but they are a different 
set of skills and so I did transition to more end-of-life care and so I've been doing that now since um, 2007 and I've really probably spent then most of my time dealing with end-of-life um, um, caring for people who are at the end of their life so then uh, after seven or uh, yeah almost eight years my own parents were elderly and getting unwell and um, managing a not-for-profit organization uh, is very challenging and because you're not only having to run a health organization but you're also there's a lot of fundraising involved and we had op shops and bookshops and it was a, a grief center it was quite a a complex organization and I felt really quite burnt out at the end of that and so for the last six years I've been working as this role called advanced care planning for West Morton Health where I help people write down their end-of-life choices in documents such as an advanced health directive and enduring power of attorney and I just think it's such a privilege to be able to spend in their busy journey of their health you know, time often at their kitchen table asking them about what their values are, what's important to them, um, what they're most proud of, what they most fear about death and dying. And then we talk through those um, concerns and then we ask them about what, what their line in the sand is when they wouldn't want their life prolonged anymore. And often comes up lots of questions about um, mortality, their belief systems, um, lots of fears about death that they've often carried with them for a whole lifetime and no one's ever, they've never felt they could ask or no one's ever had the skills. That's interesting, isn't it? That um, it's something that we tend not to talk about. Um, I only know a handful of people over a lot of years who've been sort of prepared a long time with their family about what would happen if they were in their you know, dying days, I suppose. And for a lot of us, we don't think about these things and we don't feel we need to because the actual process of dying very often is shut away from us. Um, there's a festival of death and dying, you may not know that, started in Sydney in 2016, went to Melbourne after that. But the director of that festival, Dr. Peter Banke, said that you know we don't see death because it's so hidden from us. And, the festival's trying to get it out into the open a little bit more so that we do get to discuss it more in a healthy way as a culture and are better prepared for these sorts of moments. In fact, uh, Dr. Banky said that we all live in a way as if we were going to live forever. And I think that uh, that's probably not a real reflection of the situation. I love this picture, uh, particularly home-based, where Ros is sitting across the kitchen table from people and, uh, and they're talking about these very, very important things. How do you feel in those situations, Roz? Like, um, is it something that you find uh, it creates a nervousness in you or is it quite natural for you to do that? How, what are those situations like? I think uh, it, it's, it is natural for me, but I think that that's because I'm not young and I've seen a lot of death and dying in my years of nursing but personally as well and um, I'll often talk stories to people to say you know th this is what this means and this is what that means and 
I it would be very uncommon for me to have a day where someone doesn't cry um, and that's okay sometimes it's me that's crying and that's okay um, but I, I you know crying's not bad so people often when someone gets upset they'll try to shut them down and move on to something else rather than just being present so and just listening to what that concern is but you're right in in Australia we do hide death and dying away um, it's funny with there's lots of statistics we'll often have um, life insurance we'll have um, superannuation which has got insurances we'll, most of us have even thought about doing a will but when you start talking and that's okay to talk about but then I find once I start talking about the nitty-gritty of dying where it might be coming sooner than later, we never know. Uh, that's when people start to perhaps feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I find sometimes even people are wanting to talk about it themselves, but their loved ones find it very difficult. And so they will shut them down and say, Mum, you're not going to die. Of course we are, we're all going to die. Uh, and we don't want to talk about it. You know, like, this is silly, this is depressing um, you know, we'll deal with it at the time. But mum is there saying, no, I, this is important to me. I want you to hear what I have to say. And these are the reasons that I'm deciding what I'm deciding. Yeah, that's good. And you might be a, a child in a situation where a parent is facing their final days. And it's just a bit of advice, I guess, from Roz to you that uh, don't try and shut that conversation down. Sometimes it's because you're uncomfortable, not because mum or dad is. And, um, and these are situations where we just need to give opportunity for people to speak and to share their stories. And I love the idea that Roz said before that often she shares her own stories and you're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast and what we're hearing is the stories of people from around the place who are doing remarkable things, often hidden away, they're, they're not famous in any way, but they're doing good work and, uh, and Roz is certainly doing good work. Now, what are your own thoughts about dying, Roz? Oh, I've got lots of questions. I've got lots of thoughts and I've got some, some fears of my own. Um, I'd be, be absolutely lying to say that if, if I didn't have some, because by now I've probably seen a few hundred people die and every death is a different death. Um, I've also done midwifery and I know that every birth is a different birth. So it's not dissimilar. Uh, I um, have also a lot of peace about dying. I see that, that death is a, quite a struggle. It's, you know, we talk about having dignity, but, it, you know, like it does, is death really dignified? No, it's a struggle. The human body struggles and has to go through a process. And yes, palliative care is all about making people as comfortable as possible. And we do, when we do our job well, you know, we do have not just drugs that we can use to make people comfortable, but we have a skill set where we can um, change someone's position or we can, um, you know, just add some comfort, just be present and... Um, offer lovely words of of comfort so it's all so but palliative care isn't that the body has to go through a process at death and for many people 
they've never seen that process and it can be a little it can be quite confronting and I often say that we as palliative care nurses are like we, our role is to educate people about what is happening in that death and what is normal and what we're doing to help that situation and even instructing people as a palliative care nurse to like they might as I said never been in a room with someone dying before and so we'll I'll say to them you know bring your chairs closer um, hold mum's hand um, let's talk about things that she might want to hear like funny stories that happened in your life as kids and you know that this is that noise of them breathing like that um, is because of this on their voice this bit of fluid on their voice box or it's actually reassuring them that uh, it's not distressing it's actually part of the process and I find that's a big responsibility so uh, I also have learned some things along the way that I've observed that sometimes when people are diagnosed with say a cancer they get a lot of pressure to be very positive like if you've got a positive attitude you'll beat this if you have faith um, you'll be healed and if you're not healed then it's because you've done something wrong and I've observed that really your attitude if you're positive about the process it does help people around you and it helps you get through that massive challenge but to be honest I don't think your attitude changes the course of events um, and I've seen the most positive people deteriorate and die quickly and I've that's shocked everybody and seen the people of the greatest faith die when everyone thought that they, there was not even a possibility that they could die and I've seen the most negative grumpy people you know go into remission and and live and and so I don't really have answers to that I just feel that my little bit of advice is that people shouldn't be put under pressure when they're diagnosed um, that they have to be have a certain attitude towards it that it to me it doesn't change what's going to happen so there's the voice of experience, someone who doesn't just think about the theory of this, but has seen hundreds of people pass away. And so I love that corrective that um, sometimes, yeah, positive attitude's always good, but um, it may not change everything. And um, we need to also face the fact that, the, that there's a lot of sadness and grief involved. And sometimes that grieving process, if it's going to be the most healthy, starts as the person is dying, not just after the event. And you can kind of grieve together. The other thing that's interesting that I loved about what Ros said was that, you know, we talk to that person who's dying. We, we don't pretend they're not in the room with us because um, we don't really know, but sometimes people can probably hear what's going on and be encouraged by words of comfort and hearing their family around them. So you think about that because even if you're pushing death away, there's coming a time when you're going to be in that room. And it's worth reconciling with that even now and thinking about how could you be as helpful as possible, uh, not only for your own grief and loss, but also for the sake of other people around you. Because death is a part of life. And even if we do hide it away a bit in our culture, 
um, sooner or later we have to confront that particular reality. And I, I just think Roz is so much wisdom in what she said just then. Now, you're a person of faith, Roz, and you've made that clear up front. And so we're going to talk about the God question. Obviously, for everybody, here's that wonderful clock again. I love it. Um, so not everyone has a faith, so we want to acknowledge that even as we, we have our chat now, but, but Roz does. So where do you think God is in, in this process of sickness and even death, Roz? So my mum my used to say, who was also a woman of faith, um, she used to say, um, when I die, I'm going to go to the, straight to the information desk in heaven. And I sometimes think, I wonder if she's still there. Um, so believe me, I don't have all the answers. Um, and I do have a lot of questions. And I do wonder about, you know, the where suffering fits into our you know, how can a good God allow good people to, to suffer? And I have all those questions that we all have at times, particularly when you've watched watched the process. Uh, so, but, I, you know, the Bible does talk a lot about death. It talks about death from the first book to the last book. And um, it to me, death is made sense in the Bible, like it, all and suffering and grief and we you know we know that Jesus grieved for his friend Lazarus we know all of our you know that there's bible verses that talk absolutely directly to about death and but it doesn't even just talk about death but it also gives people um the hope that um they're going to have eternal life and I think that's the point of difference in the bible is that it's giving you that hope and I have that hope that the people I love, I will see again. And to me, that stops me going crazy. Um, and I've heard people say that before when they've lost, you know, I heard a young woman who'd had a mis several miscarriages and said, I have to believe that they're in heaven because I need to know that I'm going to see them. Otherwise, I will not be able to get through this. And so that is what I, and I literally think of it like clinging on to um, a lifeboat in a very rough sea is that hope and, and we talk about reassurance that there is eternal life. That when I look at a body, and I've seen many bodies now, and you see the life go out of them, you see their colour change, you feel them go cold, that I think that there is something more than just this earth and that, you know, that that body that, and that carries you around, that part of your existence finishes. But to me, there's something so much more. You're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. My name's Warren Crank and I'm with Roz Holloway, who is a palliative care nurse um, and she's someone who is helping us explore a little bit at least this idea of dying some of its realities from her perspective at least where faith fits in and those sorts of things and you've just heard a little bit of her story now we're going to change it up and just talk now about uh travels obviously you've heard Roz uh, has been traveled around the world really but we want to focus in on Australia because this is, after all, the Red Dirt Nation podcast. So where, Ros, in Australia have you been that really blew you away? 
Well, I do have a favourite place in Australia and it's actually not that far from here, but I'm not going to tell you where it is because you'll go there and if you go there, it won't be quiet anymore. Um, But it is this um, amazing place where there's this very long beach and you can literally, during, particularly during the week, during the day, you can be the only person as far as you can see in either direction. And there's just, you know, a few pelicans, some seagulls, some seabirds. I could give you a hint. There's often a dolphin um, or two or three. And, uh, and every day is a different day. It just changes. The wind changes it. The water changes it. The sky is different. And it's, it's just, I just think how blessed are we that we can live in a country where you can be the only person on a beach. Well, that's the first secret destination we've had on Red Dirt Nation. So um, there you go. Roz loves it, but she doesn't want you there. Now, we are, are people that uh, love our country and we have hopes and dreams for it. Um, not all of those hopes and dreams are the same. But I'd love to hear what Roz's hopes and dreams are for Australia as we keep moving forward. I think I'd just like to sum that up, that our, my hope is for Australia is that we need to be a nation of respect. And I think that respect then flows on to like our country, where we need to clean it up and clean it up, keep it clean and stop destroying it. Um, We need to have respect for other people, which means talking to each other kindly and allowing each other to have a different opinion to you and believing what you, they want to believe, listening to what they have to say and really listen. Uh, Often we're thinking about what we're going to say before they have had the opportunity to say what they want to say. Um, Being tolerant, hearing about their story a lot more and not being so outraged by things. You know, we seem to, it's exhausting. And having a daughter that's a journalist, she's often going on about things and I just think, oh, it's so exhausting. Um, She's got an opinion on, a strong opinion as, as young kids of today do but it's just like do we have to get so outraged about you know little thing well what I think are little things but not but we don't often get passionate about other things that I think we should so um, and I think respect for yourself as a person too and I you know I see people who don't look after themselves physically or their mental health or they've had lots of things with substance abuse and addictions and haven't really respected their body and so and haven't got feelings of self-worth um, that have impacted their health and so and I think a lot of that is just not they don't have respect for the body that they have to carry around for a number of decades and often in your last years I was talking to a medico recently that reserve of health you have because you've looked after yourself um, can be very very beneficial towards the end of life it might help you get through something that you might not have um, otherwise but um, great great wisdom there great wisdom and the final thing is sharing one wisdom drop for us one life lesson Roz that you'd like to pass on to the people who are listening in oh well I don't think I'm very wise but I have I do observe people a lot and I observe people in extremely Um, big huge emotional 
times in their life like and not a good emotion Um, and they will remember that with absolute clarity for the rest of their life so I guess if I could say something it would be about maybe not going through life um, and leaving a trail of regrets Um, so many people come to the end of their life and regret regret particularly broken relationships where they and that often in their end of their life they want to reconcile and they want to hear the words um, I love you I forgive you and will you forgive me Um, because there's been fractured relationships sometimes by their own doing sometimes beyond their control but they just want to mend that and I think every day we have the responsibility of trying to live a day without where we'll get to the end of that day even without a regret and certainly at the end of our life without thinking I wish I should could have I if only I did if I could turn back the clock I'd do that differently so it's about approaching life with a bit every day is the opportunity to do it well um but and to think that you know our time is going to come to an end one day it's not limitless and we don't know when that is going to happen Um, but trying not to leave a a trail of destruction um, and broken hearts and do you really want to be that family that I talked about for generations to come as the family that had a falling out over a crystal vase like we don't I don't want to be that family I don't want to be the one that thinks oh my behavior and that situation was atrocious I want to go back and change that so yeah tr- try to live a life with as few regrets as possible such good wisdom and you might be in a situation now where you know you could bring some healing in the time of living rather than the time of dying it's been so good to talk to Roz today I hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard Have a great day and God bless you. We'll talk down the track.